0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. We've got Joe Newberger joining us on the line, Global News Radio's legal expert with Newberger and Partners. Joseph, a good afternoon to you.
1: Good afternoon to you, John. How are you?
0: I'm very good, but I'm a little bewildered or perplexed, and you got to help me here because you're the legal mind. Uh, I'll do everything s- I can. Well, all right. Monday at the rally, uh, when there was some gunplay and uh, two individuals were apprehended by the cops. Turns out that one of them, uh, a gentleman named Shaquille Miller, uh, actually had been before Superior Court Judge uh, Ann Malloy, I guess is her name, about a year ago, and she was sentencing him uh, for a violent home invasion uh, where a quadriplegic uh, was held at gunpoint with a gun at his neck and... uh, Many items were stolen, so on and so forth. And Justice Malloy, in her wisdom, decided in sentencing him to, uh, well, two years and three months in prison. But with time served, it really netted out to only a day and put him on probation for three years. Now, allegedly, uh, you know, she gave him the benefit of the doubt because he promised he'd be a good boy. A year later, there he is again, allegedly, with a loaded gun in the middle of a crowd at Nathan Phillips Square, and it could have gone horribly wrong, as it was. Four people were shot in the ensuing chaos. What do we do in a case where a judge takes somebody's word and it sort of, I guess, misfires, if I can use that, no pun intended?
1: Okay, well, cute pun. Look, Justice Malloy is exceptionally experienced, no soft touch, and very, very bright. So I really, I I do feel I need to make that very clear for the record here. And what we have to do in sentencing offenders is we need to sentence them on the offenses committed, what the circumstances are in conjunction with the history and all of the facts to be considered as well as risk. And I get that, but we're not able to do preventative detention for future acts. And although justice Malloy may have hoped that this individual's words were sincere, I'm absolutely certain without seeing the transcript that she was not just relying on that in meeting out what was an appropriate sentence. That being said, this type of offense from somebody who has a history of this type of offending is exceptionally serious, and it is a risk to the community. That being said, again, we don't detain people on sentences on the belief that sometime in the future they will commit another offense. This individual now will be facing something exceptionally harsh, harsh and can get down the road to being a dangerous offender, and then other systems and other uh, mechanisms will come into play to deal with that person
0: all right so in other words uh she gave him the benefit of the doubt and he again allegedly uh screwed things up so uh we don't say that you know she was a bad judge of character in this case or anything like that because she had no sense uh she couldn't be prescient to know that maybe a year later uh he's getting into mischief again
1: i hear you but again sentencing is based upon the offense that's before the person before the sentencing judge. So, look, he may have, this accused may have spent a lot of time in custody. That's why it was pretrial custody. I'm not sure what the Crown was asking for in in that particular instance. And a judge has to deal with the facts before them at the time, and they're not sentencing somebody to do preventative detention for the future. That's something that is not within the ambit of sentencing. The problem is, you know, we do have recidivism, but when you look at the overall stats in our community, it is exceptionally low compared to many other Cities, uh, including cities in Canada and especially in the United States.
0: I guess uh, you know a a layperson's interpretation is there was no deterrence in the original sentence, which is why perhaps there was a casual, cavalier attitude to carrying a gun again a year later. But let's leave this for now because this uh, is another story that does seem to uh, follow the same path or pattern. uh, Where now, before Ontario's Chief Justice George Strathy, there's a hearing into a, a sentence of. Kevin Morris, a black man caught with a loaded handgun after fleeing the cops uh, back in 2014 here in town Uh, last year. And I believe we talked about this in September. A jury found him guilty. And Ontario Superior Court Judge Sean Nakatsuru uh, gave him what was self-described as a lenient sentence of one year uh, to address, quote, one small step at a time. The problem of the disproportionate incarceration of black offenders. End quote. So the whole thing now, and you've got 11 different groups intervening into this hearing of whether or not there ought to be something like, where we've just had uh, a suggestion that uh, offenders from the indigenous community. Well, actually, there's been Gladue reports that say right. they have to be. It has to be taken into consideration their background, the full context of their disadvantaged lives, and so on and so forth. They're now uh seeing if that would be extended to black individuals because of systemic discrimination. Therefore, that would be a consideration in sentencing. Does that make sense to you?
1: Well, it's this is a pivotal decision now that the Court of Appeal will have to grapple with, and why they're giving intervening status to these other groups is to listen to all perspectives because it simply the interests transcend the parties that are involved in the case and they want to make an informed decision as to what is best. For sentencing and you know you're right i mean you know you can fall on two ends of the spectrum here are are we at a stage in our history where we should recognize systemic racism marginalization of specific identifiable communities within our society or should we simply be meeting out sentences that are meaningful that address denunciation and deterrence without taking into consideration past um, discrimination and issues. And, And that's a debate that the court will go through and frankly is something that will be dealt with at the political level as well. I think that there needs to be a balance. I think systemic racism and marginalization play a role in sentencing, but that has to be balanced against the risk that an offender plays as well as their own involvement in what is a very serious crime. In this particular instance, this judge, who's very bright again, I like this judge very much, I I think we're very blessed with the judiciary that we have, wanted to try and address the past systemic issues and give this person a break. And he said it himself. I remember what you and I discussed. It's a lenient sentence. I'm giving you a chance on this. I don't want to be wrong on you. And that was a very brave move on the part of the judge. It may not apply across the board for other like offenders with similar backgrounds. And as a community, we have to decide what's best for us.
0: Yeah, oh, I guess the question, too, is where is this going to lead? Because uh, if you recall a number of years back, it was that 16- or 17-year-old kid down in Texas, killed four people with DUI, and uh, the judge gave him the benefit of the doubt, citing affluenza. He came from an affluent family, never was told no, nothing was turned down for this kid, certainly lived with entitlement, and that somehow was a root cause for why he went off the rails, I mean, is do you see a risk here that we'd be on a slippery slope? I mean, I see perhaps what you could call the soft racism of lower expectations if you've got these kinds of considerations for certain folks rather than holding them to, uh, you know, a uniform responsible standard.
1: Yeah, I get what you're saying, and you know that that was a laughable decision, frankly, uh, in the U.S. And I think I think what it I, I think we can't go too far back sentencing has to come back to where it should be, which is we're looking at the particular circumstances of an offender, not just historic and systemic racism, but how did this impact a particular offender? Were there certain things that impacted them that led them down a path where the social system failed them? You know, I've had cases where you've had an individual who's been bounced around between foster home and foster home and abused and all sorts of things, and you can, you can kind of understand why somebody developed the personality they did and got involved with offending. But we need to make it personalized as opposed to generalized. And we can't get too far a stream here to look at the historic history of particular groups and try and repair that through sentencing. I think that's the wrong way to go. That's my own personal opinion. Um, and that may be at odds with what the court of appeal is going to have to deal with, but I think it has to be personalized and not generalized. And that's what worries me because then we can, we can make this exception for many groups and why just, this one or two versus other people who come from and toward countries and other places. So we have to be very careful in how we deal with sentencing and it has to be a personalized, contextualized process, not generalized in my opinion.
0: Finally, uh, Joe, last question on this uh, matter, Alec Manassian, this is the guy who uh, yeah, yeah. allegedly killed the 10 people on the street, uh, on Young street, just over a year and a half ago, uh, or just over a year ago, 10 counts of first degree murder, 16 counts of attempted murder. Uh, his, lawyer was uh, perhaps seeking a change of venue. Question is, I mean, could an impartial jury be found in Toronto, and what would a, a change of venue actually involve?
1: Good question. So, uh, to try and get a jury panel that would have little to no knowledge of this offense, and therefore be impacted by the gravity and heinous nature of this offense, you know, yeah. I think would be impossible. So, a change of venue application would be an application to a superior court judge to say, based upon all the publicity And the notorious nature of this offense in the public realm and on social media, they will never be able to have a fair trial if it's a jury trial. And so you can then remove the case from Toronto to some other remote community in Ontario or maybe even another province. But even across Canada, I cannot imagine that there is a community or a jury that could be found that would not have knowledge of this. Because in Canada, we don't really have a history of mass casualty events. This was so... So serious, so tragic, so known, it would be very hard to find an impartial jury, I think, in Ontario or or a nearby province. Smart decision on behalf of the Crown. Judge alone trial. Again, this judge is very experienced. We've already mentioned her name. (laughs) She's extremely experienced. He will get the fairest of trials, but she will have her eye on the ball here. He has very limited defenses available to him. So I think the public can rest assured that this judge will do the right thing and be able to hear the case appropriately, and we don't have to worry about tainting of a jury panel And then appeals going up to the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court of Canada.
0: Fair enough. Joe, always insightful and informative. Thank you so much.
1: I hope so, John. Have a great show.
0: You got it. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's legal expert with Newberger and Partners.
1: Thanks for listening to the John
0: Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts,
1: Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on demand audio.